Well, good morning, Chapel in Richmond. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Tell the person next to you, you look good. Come on, tell them you look good. And you can be seated. Well, we're in a message that will prep us for Easter today, and I'll tell you more about that in just a second, but I always love to start by looking in the camera at the back of the room and saying good morning to the chapel in Richmond and Scott's edition. Love you guys. Love what God's doing. I know we have a bunch of students on retreat down there this weekend, so incredible uh, opportunity for them to connect with God, and then uh, always the men and women in Chesterfield County Jail and Virginia Department of Corrections. You're not a project to us. You're our people, so thank you for being with us, and next week's Easter. Come on, somebody. Next week's Easter. And uh, got lots of extra times, Friday, Saturday, extra spots, so a chance for you to invite absolutely everyone that you have, uh, that you know and you're connected to, to uh, be a part of one of our gatherings in uh, Easter weekend. And uh, if nobody's told you, I love you and uh, thankful for you, appreciate you more than you know. And uh, everybody online that's traveling at the beach this spring break, we forgive you today and we're thinking of you. Well, um, today as we kind of prepare for Easter, I was thinking about, um, you know, before you can have a resurrection, you have the cross. And, and in fact, so much of the Bible contains the story of the cross and of Jesus last week. And in fact, um, there are four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and they contain the story, the life and story of Jesus. And out of those four gospels, there's actually 89 chapters And of the 89 chapters, 29 of them deal with just the final week of Jesus' life. And so, so much of the biblical content in in the New Testament has to do with not just Jesus' teaching and his life, but a whole segment, an extraordinary amount of content is given just to the end of Jesus' life. And I think that's really important to remind us today that Jesus came to do more than just teach. Jesus came to do more than just give us uh, the golden rule of how to treat other people. I think our culture loves to talk about that. Jesus is a model and a good example and a nice guy. And he's got sheep on his shoulders and he's uh, walking around saying, you know what I mean, to everybody. But Jesus came to do more than that. Jesus, How many know Jesus came to die? In fact... In fact, so much of what he came to do was not just give us a moral code or religious example, but to give his life a ransom for many. The the Bible says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so the the whole story of the gospel is of Jesus uh, giving his life for us. And and how many know you're a sinner? Somebody said, I am over here. That's great. Yeah. Come on. We got one. Come on. How many know she is too? I mean, a little less, but you know, you're winning. Uh, anybody, you say, no, pastor, this is spring break. We're in church on spring break. We're the holiest of the holiest of the holiest. How many have committed a sin in your life? Come on, raise your hand. Come on. And so the story of the Bible is that we couldn't get to God, but God came to get to us. And Jesus gave his life to take away our sin. And so the gospels give all this content, there's so much content to the end of Jesus' life because he did, he did more than coming to just talk to us. He did, he, he came to accomplish a mission and the mission was to live and then to die. And in his death on the cross, he takes all of our sin, 
and our brokenness and our shame and he wipes that away and he gives us brand new life. And so we're reminded of the love of God and the kindness of God. And I wanna talk to us today about some of the last words that Jesus ever spoke. Next week, we'll look at the resurrection. Spoiler alert, he rose. Like just in case case you want to know how the movie ends, uh, that's important. In fact, uh, in fact, some churches that say, well, Jesus' soul rose or his spirit rose, rose or his teaching. No, no, there's actually, you actually, his literal body rose from the dead. In fact, Paul says, 1 Corinthians, 500 witnesses saw him with their own eyes, that he lived and then he died and then he rose again. And th- these disciples died for their faith. All right, I'm preaching the resurrection message. That's next week. But can we just take a vote that he rose from the dead? Everybody, right? Yeah, he rose. But before we get there next week, how do we this week look at what happened before his resurrection? And that was his death. And I want to show you some of his last words. He's on the cross and the Bible says a jar of sour wine was sitting there and they soaked a sponge in it and put uh, on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. And these are incredible words. When Jesus tasted it, he said, look at these words, it is finished. Come on, say that with me. It is finished. And then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. There's something about the last words of people that they often give importance to. Jesus' last words were, it is finished. By the way, his words were not, I am finished, because he was going to get up from the grave. It is finished, meaning the work he came to do to pay for our sin, he said, it's done in that moment, okay? And there's something about the last moments of people that we, that we recognize, they talk about importance. I'll never forget, I was 12 years old when I walked into St. Joseph's Hospital to see my grandfather for the last time. And there were 12 of us grandkids huddled in an ICU room there in St. Joseph's Hospital. And he, we sang two hymns with my grandpa, Great is thy faithfulness and how great thou art. And my grandfather said, just when life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. I remember the legacy that he left me, number one, of being a man who even even when he didn't have much strength in his physical body, was still worshiping God in an ICU. And I remembered a man who, even though he accomplished some things with his business, realized that this whole life is going to be passed, and only what matters is what we do for Jesus. There's something about the legacy of last moments. In Jesus' last moment, he could have said any word in the world he could have said, but he literally says, it is finished. And it literally means in Greek, what it is, is it's to complete something or to finish something or to discharge a debt. Here's what Jesus is saying on the cross. He's saying, I've accomplished all of what I set out to accomplish in this moment. I completed it. It is finished. And in that moment, humanly speaking, it looked like, looked like the bad guys were winning, right? In fact, think about it. From a human perspective, the, the religious leaders and the Roman government conspired together to execute an innocent man. And so it looks to all the outside world watching Jesus hang on a cross and breathe his last breath that the bad guys won, <laughs> And that a good guy died. And, 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 and imagine that his teachings they're thinking are going to die. His followers are going to scatter. But how many know God uses what, what might appear to be a defeat and he uses it for a victory? Come on. In fact, I just wrote this down. The seeming defeats in our life and in your life are not the final word. This was not the final word. 
And maybe you walked in here this weekend and you're thinking, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going through some stuff. I'm suffering some challenges. I'm dealing with some difficulties. I'm just here to remind you that is not the final word. God oftentimes plants in obscurity and pain and brings power and, and deliverance out of that place. You know? And that's what's amazing. Jesus looking like he's dying and looking like he is dying. It, they're thinking that the, this is the end, but God's couching the end in the beginning and he's doing something good out of something bad and he's working something glorious out of something mysteriously awful. And in fact, the scene is incredible. John paints it that the soldiers are mocking him and they've prepared a crown of thorns that they've woven together and they press it on his head and, and, and they're mocking him as royalty. They're, they're putting that crown on his head as a symbol of royalty. They have purple robes to, to clothe him in, meaning like you're a king. It's a, they're mocking him in this moment. And in fact, in the ancient world, a crown was given to three groups of people. The first was winners in, um, in a sporting event. I, I grew up in the 80s where only winners got trophies. I don't know. I don't know if that's good or bad, but you know what I mean? Like... You didn't, if you didn't win, you didn't win, you didn't, you know. And your mom had to tell you there's someone better than you in life. And you had to learn that lesson. And uh, come on, somebody, that's how it's true, you know. And, and uh, I could preach on that all day. In fact, it's just good to get it out there. And uh, one of my sons, they, they did a thing. They weren't keeping score in one of the leagues he played in. And all the kids knew the score. They said, we don't keep score here. I said, well, somebody does because they, we all know what just happened. You can give everyone something, but, uh, that, that, but here's the point. If you won a, a, a sporting event, you got a crown. The second group that would win a crown would be a, a Caesar or a Roman ruler. They would be given a crown of like royalty, governor in the ancient world. And then the, the third group would literally be um, a commander of a military army that had won a victory. And so there was a symbol of royalty. And to mock Jesus, the soldiers and the, the religious leaders are conspiring together. They're just mocking him. You remember that they slap him and they say, prophesy who hit you. And they... They put this crown on his head just to mock him and it presses into his skull and, and it, uh, blood begins to drip and they put the robe on a beaten back which would probably begin to adhere to his back and, and they would pull it off. I mean, just they're mocking him. And what they don't realize is that in mocking them, they're fulfilling all the prophecies of the Old Testament. Literally over 600 prophecies of, uh, of different things. And I just wrote this down this week that the seeming work of evil in our lives is turned around and used by God, okay? Even they put the sign king of the Jews. They were mocking him as being king, but how many know he really was king, right? And what they thought was evil, God was gonna use for good for, for their own ambition to stamp him out and remove him and consolidate their own power. They thought they could knock him down, but God was just baking him into the cake of his providence to pay for the sins of humanity, raise him on the third day and conquer. How many know what the enemy means for evil, God can turn around and use for good. Do you believe that? That, that doesn't mean God does it, but it means God can use it. It means God will allow things in our life that are difficult and challenging, and then he'll use them. The, the greatest example of this in the Old Testament was Joseph in the book of Genesis. His brothers betrayed him, and his father, I mean, a whole mess. And at the end of his life, he looks at his brothers and he says, Genesis 50, verse 20, what you meant for evil, God meant for good for the saving of many lives. 
And I'm just here to remind you today, even when somebody has bad intentions and does something unfair to you, God can turn it around and bring something good and glorious out of bad circumstances. And that's essentially what the cross is. It's an instrument of torture that the enemies of Jesus thought that they would conquer the plan of God. And what they didn't really realize is they were just accelerating the purpose and redemption of, the, uh, of God for humanity through the cross. So I'm reminding us today, on the cross, the work of evil, the work of difficulty, the work of pain is, is used of God to bring us salvation. And Jesus hangs on the cross and he says, it is finished. Here's what it is finished means. All of our sins were paid for by Jesus Christ. Anybody thankful for that, right? And there's this finishing kind of faith that Jesus has. In the garden, he says, God, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus had a finishing kind of faith. Paul had that when he says, my, worth, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish the work you've given to me. God uses Jesus' life. God still, I really believe, God responds to a finishing kind of faith. We need to be people that don't just start to have faith in God, but complete our faith in God and, and follow through. Jesus went to the very end and gave his life. He had a finishing kind of faith. I probably shouldn't tell this story, but I was um, a teenager in, in my youth group and they were having a 10K missions uh, race. <laughs> so my friends and I, our parents made us run this 10K. And there's a guy in my church who was driving a pickup truck who had a, a big jug of water that, peop- that he was driving through to give all the runners water. And so we kind of tricked him his name was John. We said, hey, we want to help you um, give everyone water. Because we were supposed to, and he's like, really? And we are like, absolutely. So we jumped into the back of his pickup truck. And we rode with him and handed out cups of water. You know, and, uh, and, and we were supposed to be running, but we were riding. And just doing the Lord's work. And uh, we went to Onondaga Park in Syracuse, New York. Walk all, drove all the way down, drove all the way back. And when we were approaching probably about a quarter mile from the finish line, we said, you know what, we're going to get out here. And uh, we literally placed in the top ten. That felt wrong to me. I will say when we got awards, that felt wrong to me. You know? and, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there's something about finishing. And, and Jesus was, a kind of, was somebody who was willing to finish the miss, mission. And he gives us a pattern of finishing faith. I really think, in fact, Jesus tells a story. It's one thing to have the word of God planted and grow up quick. But it's another thing to, to endure and bear fruit. How I many know oh, God's looking for people that have faith that endures? Come on. That bears fruit. And that don't live in a delay. They don't live in a delay. They make a decision. They understand that, that my decision is going to cross the line of commitment. I'm going to be the kind of person who has a finish finishing kind of faith that Jesus on the cross said it is finished he accomplished the mission that he was called to accomplish and he's called us to be people who have a finishing kind of faith amen in fact what's amazing we oftentimes talk about these words on the cross Jesus said his last words it is finished but I I don't know if you know that at the end of time in heaven when Jesus is returning he says those same words in fact in the last book of the bible Revelation describes God as Jesus as he returns saying the same words. Come on, it is what? It's finished. And he actually describes himself as the Alpha and the Omega. These are the first and last letters of Greek. So he's saying I'm the A and the, to the Z. 
I'm the beginning to the end. I'm, I'm everything. And here's what he's saying. Not only did I finish the work I gave you to do in this world, but when I came back, I'm just reminding you of my finished work. And, and I'm here to just remind us, one of the things we do is identify with the victory that Jesus has already won on the cross. We're not, catch this, we're not trying to win our own victory. We're just identifying with a victory already won. Have you ever had somebody say, we won, and they're wearing a jersey, and they say, we won, and they weren't really part of the team? (laughs) Like, they only ate nachos. You know, it's like, we won. Okay. No. No. Guess what? We won. Even though we didn't do anything, we won because we're identifying with the one who won. That's a picture of what Christ came to do. And all we're doing is identifying with his victory. We're living, you can put it this way, that he's, he said it is finished. And all we're trying to do in our faith is live out the victory that Jesus has already accomplished for us. Okay. In fact, I find it so interesting that Jesus on the cross does not say, I am finished. He only said, it is finished. Okay. So he's not giving up at this moment. He's declaring a message that he has accomplished what he intended to accomplish on the cross. I just want to remind us today, because this is so unlike any other uh, uh, religion. Every other religion says, do this and do that and do this, and you can have a relationship with God. And the Christian faith, Jesus alone says, you can't do anything it's already been done by what I did on the cross. And so we don't live out to get victory. We, we receive his victory and live that victory out. Does that make sense? We don't live to earn the love of God. We receive the love of God. I'm trying to just remind us of the, the heart of God this weekend. Because if we get into next week Easter and we think the reason that we celebrate is because we're pretty great, then we miss the whole message of the cross which is we messed it up, but God gave us grace. And so we gather to celebrate that there was a, a victory on the other side of our brokenness. You know? And that's what, I love this, uh, this picture of Jesus saying, uh, uh, it is finished. Here's what he's saying. Everything past, present, and future has been forgiven. All of our sin and brokenness dealt with on the cross. I gotta tell you, one of the major sources of conflict in my home for the last six months is the way my daughter parks in our driveway. She has a, a, a Honda Accord with 300,000 miles and she pulls it right behind Katie and I in the driveway, almost perfectly planning to, to not allow us to get out, okay? And I have for six months taught her the right way to park. I mean, I have, I, I swear, I've done everything. I've writ, I've drew a diagram. <laughs> I've talked to her about it. I pulled it in myself so she could see. This is not a lie. I did a video for her. (laughs) And I said to her, when you're pulling in the driveway, just open this video and see if you did it like that. Because a lot of mornings I wake up and I get up pretty early. I leave the house and I got my coffee and my Bible and I'm ready to mm, praise the Lord. And I come out in the driveway and she's just right there. And you know what? She doesn't have any spare key. It's hidden in her. I'm searching through the dark house to find it because I better not wake her up, you know. And, and all of a sudden, come on, somebody, I went from having this joyful day to this, like, Lord, really? You know. Well, the other day, she comes in the house. She's like, Dad, I want to show you. You guys got to see something outside. And I come outside, and she shows me 
that she has parked in the perfect spot. She says, is this what you're talking about? I said, oh, this is wonderful. This is so wonderful. And she says something quick that really hit me. She says, now do you love me? And I thought to myself, no, 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 no. I've been loving you long before. You, you finally parked once. Good. I've been loving you through a lot of days that were hard to be loving you. <laughs> and so I just had a moment where I thought of how we think of God. Uh, God, did I get it right? In fact, I said to her, I said, there are a lot of days I've been loving you when I shouldn't have been loving you. If it was good, you know, you know, uh, 18 years ago, you were born to your mom through 12 hours of labor, 12 hours. You destroyed your mother for 12 hours. <laughs> you came out your head with this, with the cone. Like I couldn't even, it's like, do I want this one? I, I don't have a choice. I stood there and said, you were beautiful. Forceps were marked, made marks on your face. Your head was chasing you. You looked and I said, you were beautiful. I was loving you that day. I said to her, I'm loving you every time you clean your room. She does a thing where she cleans her room perfectly and she puts all the junk in the hall and then she says, it's cleaned. And it's like, no, you just moved your stuff to the hall. So I told her, I said, I've been loving you. I've been loving you a lot of times that I shouldn't have been loving you. And today you finally got the driveway right and that's great. Guess what? Early this morning, I'm still backing around her. She messed it up today. Guess what? I was beloving her this morning because my love for my daughter is not contingent upon her, her, uh, her ability to please me. My love for my daughter was settled once and for all when God put her into our life. And I think some of us Christians are coming to God and saying, what if, well, if I park right and I get it right and I do enough right things, then maybe you'll love me. And I'm just here to remind us as we go into Easter week, it's not what we have done. It's what Jesus did for us that settled once and for all the love of God in, in, in heaven with us. And the lie of the enemy is somehow I can make God love me more or sometime, somehow I can make God love me less. Somehow I can impress him or sometime I can disappoint him. But here's the point. He, he loved us even though he, before he set his love on us in Christ, he knew all the worst things we would ever do. Every time we disappoint him, every time we park in the wrong place, our heavenly father already knew it. And the cross declares, hey friends, chapel, we are already accepted, already embraced, already in the family, Right? And, and this is the message of Jesus when he says, it is finished. He's declaring a scandalous message of grace. It's scandalous that somehow we can have a relationship with God without, without doing anything on our own, that it's all by his grace. That's exactly what it is. And, and it's a declaration, it is finished. And that means there's nothing more to accomplish. He did it all for us. Now, sometimes people think, well, we're still living out this life, and that's true, I get it. Have you ever been watching a game and one team's beating the other team by 40? And they take all their starters out, and there's like 30 seconds left. And the game isn't maybe technically over, right? There's still, the 30 seconds are going down on the clock, but the players are hugging and high-fiving. And even though the game isn't technically over, the outcome has been decided. Is that true, Right. I think that's kind of how we live right now. The game may not be technically over. We're still living out this thing. But the outcome has been decided because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
it is finished, he said. He's like, literally, there's nothing else to be accomplished. It is finished. It, it, the full love of God expressed to you and me happened on the cross, and there's nothing we can do to improve it or add on it or build upon it or make him love us more or detract his love for us. It's settled in Jesus. And if that message sounds too good to be true, then it's probably the message of grace. <laughs> that God set his love for us in Christ. In fact, let me show you one more verse, Hebrews 1. I love the way it says it. It says, after Jesus provided purification for our sins, I love this, he, what? Sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. What did Jesus do after he provided for our sins? He sat down. That, that means, what a sitting down means, it means I'm done I finished what I needed to do. And that's what Jesus saying he sits down in heaven means at the right hand of God. It means he finished what he had to do on the cross. There's no more to be added to it or complete it or build upon it. All of it once and for all was settled on the cross. It's this picture of God sitting down saying I did everything you needed and we can be fully forgiven through Jesus Christ. This is the heart of God. This is what I'm just trying to refresh and remind us because we're going into Holy Week and we need to be reminded that we're saved by grace, by the kindness of God, by the goodness of God, by the graciousness of God, by the long-suffering of a God who graciously redeemed us. I was, um, I was uh, about to turn 19, which is scary to say, when I decided I was gonna ask Katie to marry me. Uh, We've been dating since I was 15. She was 16. Like I told you, I dated an older woman. And, and I decided uh, at the end of that summer, I was going to ask her to marry me. The only problem was I didn't have a ring, and I knew that's pretty, like, necessary. And she was living that summer with her parents in Charlotte. And so my plan was to work all summer, save enough money, buy the ring, fly to Charlotte, surprise her, ring the doorbell and ask her to marry me and it would be great. And so that was my plan and I got a job. I always worked for my family business. My grandpa had this construction business and I'd work every summer and I'd be able to earn enough money to buy this ring. And uh, the first week that I was home, I was playing basketball with my friends and for the first time ever in my life, horribly sprained my ankle. The doctor said it would have been better if it broke. All the, all the ligaments were stretched and I was like unable to walk. And so for about six weeks, I couldn't put any pressure really on this ankle. And I didn't know what I was gonna do because I needed the work to earn money for a ring, to ask a girl to marry me. So, so that's how it worked. And my... Um, it was amazing, my aunt and my grandfather and the whole business. The first week I didn't we, we, uh, work, my aunt, who was a bookkeeper, I got a check from the company, and so I called her. I said, you, don't, you know I hurt my ankle. I didn't work this week. And she said, it's okay. We decide to pay you this week. And I said, well, that's amazing. Uh, next Friday, I got another check, and I called my aunt, and I said, I got another check. And she said, I know it's okay. We decide to pay you this week. And for six weeks... She paid me when I didn't work. It was the best summer of my life. <laughs> and at the end of the summer, I had enough money to go buy this ring. And I got on a plane. I flew to Charlotte. I rang the doorbell on uh, Katie's home with, where her parents and she lived. She opened the door. I was on my knee. Come on, like you should be. 
And I said, babe, I love you. Would you do me the honor? Would you marry me? Would you be my wife? And she said, oh my gosh. She literally said, what are you doing here? Is what she said. <laughs> she didn't think I'd be in town. And I was like, I just flew it. So she hugged me and she still hadn't said yes. And I was like, I'm gonna sort of need to make sure that you say yes. You know what I mean? My father-in-law was snooping. He was walking around the back of the kitchen. I could see him over her shoulder. He should have given us space. And he, he's been doing that for years. And uh, it's a prophecy of things to come. And uh, I'll never forget, she finally said yes. I put my hand, she put the ring on her finger. And he said, I'm going to take you to a nice dinner. We celebrated because it was still earlier than 4 o'clock. And there was a senior discount at Shoney's. I swear to you. He treated me to Shoney. I bought her a very expensive ring that I worked all summer for. He took me to a Shoney's buffet. That's a wise man right there. I'm telling you something, though. There's not a day that I don't realize that that engagement ring was purchased because of the grace of family members and not my hard work. And I'm here to let us know today our salvation is purchased because of the grace of God and not our hard work. In fact, Paul says, who can boast? Next week, we're going to fill different services at different times. We're going to bring our friends and family, and we're going to celebrate the resurrection next week. But here's the amazing thing as we celebrate the resurrection next week. Not at one moment are we going to think, I'm so good that God got a bargain when he got me. No, we're going to be reminded of the God who said, it is finished, and all our sin, and all our brokenness, and all our mistakes, and all the things that we got right, didn't get right. In fact, the Bible even says that our righteousness is this filthy rags, meaning even all the best stuff we do isn't good enough for God, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ that he forgives our sins. Aren't you just glad God gives you what you don't deserve? That he gives us unmerited favor, unearned grace, can never be repaid through the kindness of our Savior. And that's what we celebrate today. And at the end of that, he sits down and says, it is finished. Friends, it's finished. There's nothing more we can add to it or complete it or dress it up. No, no, no. It's all been handled completely. And we're just living as an overflow of grace. We're living as a, out of hearts of gratitude because what God has done for us. And that's the heart of God. And you say, Pastor, that's super simple. I'm just trying to remind us of the heart of God. Three words, I guess three words is the sermon. It is finished. When we try to add any words to that, we mess the whole thing up. No, no. Yeah, it is finished and I, no. It is finished, but I, no. It is finished. He already did it. And we're just enjoying the victory that he won on our behalf. I'm living out of the victory of my gracious God. Amen. Would you bow with me all over this room and just a second, we'll close. No one's looking around. I won't embarrass you, I promise. But maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure where I'm at in my own relationship with God. Or maybe you've wandered away from your faith. Or today you're just not even sure where you're at. And We'd love to pray for you as a church. We'd love to help people come to know God. And Right in just the privacy of your own seat, I won't embarrass you. You'd say, Pastor, in Scott's Edition or here in Midlothian or online in the jail... You'd say, would you pray for me today? I need to get my heart right with God. Would you just lift your hand if that's you today? Pray for me. I need to get my heart. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, young man. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, young lady. 
Yes, sir. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. Yes, sir. Yes, young lady. I see that in the back. Thank you. Proud of you. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Right where you're seated, you just pray a prayer that goes like this. God, I know I'm not perfect, but I believe you died on a cross and on the third day rose from the dead. And so today I open my heart to you. Thank you for finishing what I couldn't do. Thank you for giving your life to me. And so I open my heart to you every bit. All my mistakes, all my sin, even my good things, God, I know it's not enough. So I invite you, Jesus, to come and live on on the inside of my life, to forgive my sins and to give me a new start. Today, would you be the Lord and the treasure of my life? And by your grace, I'll serve you all the days of my life. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, chapel, a whole mess of people took steps of faith today. We're so proud of you, man. We're so proud of you. We're so proud of you. We're so proud of you. Oh, come on. We're so proud of you. We're so proud of you. So proud of you. You can connect, you can uh, fill that connect card out or meet us at Next Steps or you email us and we'll help you take steps of faith. And well, we're going to be done in just a minute, but there's a song that just says, how great is your love, God. And I want us to sing it for maybe just one minute or two before we walk out these doors. Would you stand all over this room?